The Old Testament reading is from Proverbs. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he is hungry. But if he is caught, he will pay sevenfold. He will give all the goods of his house. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor, and his disgrace will not be wiped away. For jealousy makes a man furious, and he will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation. He will refuse, though you multiply gifts. The word of the Lord. A reading from Ephesians. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The word of the Lord. Please stand for the reading of the Gospel.
This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with a lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for gathering us together. It is good for us to be together, Lord, and we acknowledge and celebrate your presence with us. I pray that you would um, teach us from your word on today. Lord, and I do pray as I um, speak to this commandment, do not commit adultery. I'm just aware of the the pain um, that can come uh, with um, reflecting on this commandment and um, the uh, just very uh, personal nature of the way it ties so strongly into our, our sense of identity and self. So, Lord, we just pray right now that you would lift off um, any shame from us, Lord, but that you would bring conviction where we need conviction and that you would bring strength where we need strength, Lord. We just trust on the work of your Spirit we invite uh, your grace and your truth to be at work in our midst. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, so I'm a, a big fan of um, Bono, uh, the lead singer of U2. Um, I uh, love uh, the music of U2. If you uh, listen to our podcast, the Ninth Avenue Nine, which uh, often talks about music, they were included um, in my um, nine albums. I won't tell you which album. You're curious now if you're a U2 fan. You have to listen uh, to the podcast to find out. Uh, but I also appreciate Bono. I just find him a very interesting person. I've listened to a number of interviews um, uh, with him and recently uh, uh, read a, a memoir um, that he wrote um, called Surrender. Um, and I appreciate the advocacy work um, he's done. As you're familiar, you know, he's been a, a big advocate for a number of, of social issues. Um, and in his memoir, he talks about um, his work um, in particular. He talks about a lot of things, but in one place he's talking about his work um, in regards to the AIDS crisis in Africa. Um, and he says this, he says, God is concerned for the poor, not who is having sex with whom. Um, and then in another interview I heard along those same lines and talking about this issue, he says, people think God is focused on what's going on in your pants. What vision of God do we have? Now, I appreciate that in this, I think he's saying and wanting to get at, look, a person's sexual ethics, um, what they do sexually should not affect our care for them, should not affect our acts of compassion, should not affect our friendship um, with them, our hospitality towards them. And in that, I completely agree with him. But I would also say God cares about the poor, and actually he does care about who is having sex with whom. I would say God cares about our souls, he cares about our emotions, and he cares about our bodies. And yes, he cares about whether our bodies are hungry, or whether they're suffering from disease, right, or whether they need relief from pain, and he cares about what we do with our bodies, and what we do sexually with our bodies. 
Matter of fact, God is so concerned about our sexual relationships that when he gave the Ten Commandments to his people, one of the commandments was this, do not commit adultery, right? that he cares about, again, our relationships and our sexuality. And so I want to consider that today, consider this commandment, what does it mean, but why? Why does God tell us, do not commit adultery? A good um, reason to obey it is just because he does tell us, but I believe we have reason to understand why is this a commandment? Why does uh, he care about this? But first, what is this commandment forbidding? What is it um, uh, saying? Right? Well, adultery here means the same thing that adultery means for us, right? To break basically the, the marriage bond, the marriage vows um, by a spouse in that marriage having sexual relations with someone outside of that marriage, right? That was the meaning of adultery. But we see in the scriptures, actually, when you look at sort of the fullness of this meaning, it basically means um, to um, limit sexual activity, sexual relationships, only to a spouse, again, in marriage. And so, yes, it's, it's speaking to the married, but it's actually speaking to everyone. That's saying this is the place for sexual relationship. And so, actually, you see in the Old Testament law, when it speaks of um, those having sexual relations before they're married, it actually views that as a type of adultery. You're actually committing adultery against your potential future spouse. Or you're committing adultery against someone else's potential future spouse. Right? And so there's, um, again, in this, a value for marriage. And marriage being the place of a marriage between one man and one woman for sexual activity. Now, there are a few questions that come up. Uh, one question, I don't think this is a temptation for people, but it's a question that comes up a lot is, okay, you're saying the place uh, for sexual activity is marriage between one man and one woman. What about all the polygamous relationships uh, we see in the Old Testament? Again, I don't think that's a temptation for people today, but it's a big question that comes up, right? That's confusing, right? And we should note, right, that although um, there's descriptive um, accounts of polygamy, and yes, polygamy among those who should know better and are following the Lord and committed to the Lord, it's never endorsed. And it's actually, when you read the stories, it's not positive, right? You can see very clearly the damage that's done, right? And we go back to the very beginning, to Genesis 2 with Adam and Eve. And the Lord says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and cling and hold fast to his wife, right? It is singular, right? That is God's plan. We actually see it in the New Testament when directions are given uh, to church leaders. Paul specifically says to men, you should be a husband of one wife. Right, so that's clear. But also, of course, the bigger issue for us as we consider right, that sexual intimacy activity is to take place within marriage between one mate, man and one woman is what does that say of same-sex relationships? And again, it's, it's clear and the teachings of Scripture are clear right, that that is not God's design for sexual activity and for sexual intimacy right, between two members of the same sex. That is not God's design for marriage. We see that clearly in the Old Testament and it's also worth noting we see that in the New Testament. And I say that not because, well, if it's in the Old Testament, it doesn't matter, right? We're preaching on the Ten Commandments. We're saying it matters what the Old Testament says. But when we look at Paul's letters, um, and specifically his letters that are addressing, right, congregations with Gentiles in it, so non-Jewish people who've come to faith in Christ, right, or considering faith in Christ and are part of these communities, he's speaking there to a group that in general would have said, oh, same-sex relations, um, sexual relations are good, right? They can be beautiful and pure. And, right, and so Paul's actually being countercultural, right? We tend to read the you know, Bible and think, well, everyone believed that at that time. Actually, many of those who Paul was speaking to did not believe that. He's speaking against um, a very popular view of the culture at that time. And I think that's worth noting because, obviously, we're being countercultural. 
And the fact is, it's more than countercultural, right? When we uphold a misteaching of Scripture, it's deeply offensive to people, and it's hurtful to people. And I know many for whom it's a stumbling block, right? They would say, you know, I just can't believe the Scriptures, or I'm going to choose actually to believe some of the Scriptures, but not those Scriptures, because that, it, it, it hurts my very identity. And again, I know for people that's both personal for them, but it also ties into that speaks against the identity of those I love, of my children or you know, loved ones, of my closest friends. And so we can acknowledge that, and we need to acknowledge that, but we also need to say the teaching of Scripture is clear. And as we consider a commandment, right, I believe that does apply right, to, to the various forms of sexual activity outside of marriage. Now, we can note, and it's important to note, right, that this truth, this teaching has been used at times to, to treat others with hate, um, to mistreat others, to actually speak against their identity, to actually give the message that you yourself um, are flawed. And that's, of course, not a message we want to give. Yes, we're all sinful, right, but we're all made in the creation and the image of God. We're all valued and loved by God. So we need to acknowledge that, and that's right, in, I believe, when the church has repented of the ways in which teaching around sexuality has actually been given in a way that is hateful and hurtful. But we also need to say, right, that the, the correction, I believe, that some believe is a correction, of saying, therefore, because this has been hurtful in the past, we need to bless, actually, we need to affirm uh, what God doesn't affirm. I believe that is damaging as well, and that is harmful, right? The Church of England, where we as an Anglican church get our roots, you, you may be, or find our roots, right? You may be aware, right, that just recently, a few weeks ago, and the Church of England passed a resolution, right, that churches um, should, actually, it was a directive, should bless same-sex unions. And again, I know it comes from a desire to be kind and to be loving and to be inclusive, and I can appreciate that desire, but we can also say if we seek to bless actions that God does not bless, we're actually doing damage. We're actually doing harm. Now, that brings up the question then, oh, wait, I should also note, again, this is sort of the inclusiveness, again, what this commandment speaks to. And then we have Jesus, right, filling it up um, in our, our gospel reason, reading. As Andine talked about last week, he's filling up the law. And he tells us, right, actually, do not commit adultery also applies to your thought life, to looking with lustful intent upon a woman. I think we can apply as well. Looking with lustful intent upon a, a man, women looking at men, men looking at women, right, to, to engage with lust is also to break this commandment. So basically, again, as Andine said last week, none of us are off the hook, right? I mean, he's basically making sure this can apply to everyone. That's why right, we should receive that. But the question then becomes, why? Right? Why is this harmful? Why does God care? Our um, Proverbs reading, I believe, is helpful in this. You've got to appreciate at times the practicality of Proverbs, but also just the, the imagery that's used. And in the second half of that reading, actually, I have a uh, part of Proverbs 5, part of Proverbs 6, Right, ask this question there at the bottom of page six. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes and not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? Right, the image is clear, right? To commit adultery is like carrying fire. It's like walking on coals and thinking, I'll be okay. It won't harm me. And so it says, right, verse um, uh, uh, 30 there, people do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he's hungry. Right? We can sympathize with a thief who steals. That's next week, right? Do not steal. But it's acknowledging, right? You can say, oh, I can see why he stole, right? He was hungry. But even so, if he's caught, he will pay sevenfold. He will have to pay for his crime. In a sense, how much more so for adultery, right? You have nothing you need to steal, right? You, you don't have an excuse. He commits adultery, lacks sense. 
He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor and disgrace will not be wiped away. Right? And it ends with basically acknowledging, and you may have a jealous husband coming after you. Right? I mean, there's, you know, again, very practical. The fact is you may have someone who wants to do violence unto you because of your actions. Think, right? This makes no sense. Now, we may say, okay, yes, right, you know, this picture of adultery certainly is harmful, right? But, I mean, to, to view a, a, a sexual act as perhaps just a, a physical, a place of physical pleasure, right? Aren't there times, certainly, where even acts of adultery maybe don't actually have that much damage, don't really do harm? And certainly for sexual activity outside of marriage completely, right, how does that do harm? But what this is getting at, I believe, again, comes from all the way back into Genesis, right, where the Lord says, right, the two shall become one flesh. Right, that's what is at the heart of this, right? There is a one fleshness. There is a oneness that comes in marriage. And to break that oneness, to come against that oneness, even if it's seen, you know, I mean, I've read stuff now. It's like, well, maybe adultery sometimes is good for marriages, right? It can bring some life into marriages, right? And we have to say no. Anytime, again, where sexual activity comes against the oneness, right, is not part of that oneness, but actually is working against it, there is damage that is done. Damage to the person, damage to the marriage, right? I mean, damage to all those who are affected by and, and, and are connected to that marriage, right? That oneness is sacred, right? And that's, again, God's design for marriage. The oneness, yes, is about sexual union within marriage, but it's so much more, right? It's about a bond, a spiritual bond, I believe, between a husband and a wife. Now we may say, okay, all right, so there's the value of the bond, the vows that are made to one another in marriage, but how then is you know, sexual activity outside of marriage, completely removed from marriage, what does that have to do with that bond? But again, if we believe the Lord and we put our trust in Him and He has said this is where the place of sexual activity is, then any sort of sexual activity out of marriage is in a sense coming against those vows. It's coming against that oneness. It's basically saying, I'm going to, in a sense, pretend to be married. I'm going to take this one aspect of marriage, right, and experience that apart from the fullness of marriage, apart from what actually God calls marriage to, which is self-giving, right, which is lifelong commitment, which is actually, again, a, a sharing of bodies, right, but a sharing of souls, a sharing of commitment. That's, right, the vision. Sometimes, again, we hear the two shall become one, and we mean, oh, you get married and you have sex, right? But that doesn't, isn't what it means. We actually said in 1 Corinthians, he warns against oneness um, with someone that you're not married to. And he's not just saying don't have sex with them. He's saying you have a spiritual bond that happens. There's a way in which you're creating a false oneness that, again, damages the true oneness that you're called to um, in the Lord. And so this, actually, then we can see why would Jesus then say, hey, you know, I've warned you, you, you know, you've heard do not commit adultery, but this isn't just about physical activity. This is about even your mental life, right? Because, again, if, if the marriage is the place of that sharing, of that mutual giving, right, of that honoring of one another, then any sort of sexual fantasy, right, is coming against that. It's saying, actually, that other person, right, I'm not going to honor them as someone made in the image of God. I'm going to objectify them. They will be a, a means of personal gratification for me. And the Lord is basically teaching us anytime, right, sexual activity comes outside of marriage, anytime even that we engage in sexual fantasy, we are looking at personal gratification. It's about our own pleasure. It's about our own fulfillment apart from honoring that person. You see, why does God care who we have sex with, right? Because he cares about people and he cares about the value of each person. And he has created sex as a gift to be enjoyed by a husband and wife. 
but he knows the damage that it does when we objectify that other. Now, let me say this, and I'm not trying to make things harder either, but it's possible within marriage, right, for lust to come in. It's possible to objectify your spouse, right? And so, again, sometimes the message is marriage people like, hey, congratulations, you can lust all you want. No, that is not the case, right? The, the very idea of marriage is you are honoring that other person as another person. We need to be aware, oh, I can lust after my wife, right, and not honor her as unique, and not honor our relationship as one of self-giving, as one of lifelong commitment, of honoring those vows and the various ways we honor these vows. In this as well, right, is this com- command, do not commit adultery, is connected to the command, honor your father and your mother, right? This is where children come from, sexual activity. I think you all know that. I hope no one's hearing that uh, for the first time. So, um, uh, but, you know, you kind of have to say it because actually more and more today in our culture, we kind of want to completely separate them, don't we? It's kind of amazing how much discussions around sex completely leave out children, right? And we cannot deny, right, that this is one of the purposes that God has for sexual intimacy is children. Now, it's not the only purpose, Right? And so I think sometimes people that heard that was the only purpose can react against that and, and say, no, 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 that's not the only purpose. Clearly it's not. Right? We had sort of our awkward Proverbs reading, right? Rejoice in the breast of the wife of your youth. Right? I mean, this is the Bible saying sexual intimacy is to be enjoyed. Right? God created it as pleasurable. As desire is good. Right? We actually have in 1 Corinthians, Paul warns couples in the church, he says, don't refrain from sex for too long. You can refrain from a season for prayer, Right, that's okay, but he actually warns them, don't refrain too long. This is part of your marital relationship, and it is good. Right? But again, the importance of children and God's design for family, that children are to be welcomed into a family. This is a place for sexual intimacy because we cannot separate sexual intimacy from children. Right? Again, there are many, many um, ways in which God blesses um, sexual intimacy within marriage. But it's always connected to children, right? Even when we're beyond childbearing years, there's always that connection because that's God's creation. That's the way God designed things. And so there is in this as well a value for that design, a value for that purpose. Right? Let me just say, as I say this, and I want to be really clear on this, in saying this, I'm not in any way um, wanting to dishonor right? single parents. Right? We uh, know um, the wonderful job single parents do, and I believe a single parent right, with a child or children is a family, right? And God honors them as a family. I think we also have to acknowledge that there are unique challenges, right, that single parents um, face and deal with, right? And we see, again, God's design and care for children. And so in this, again, um, we have uh, the, a warning, right, the harm that we see. And again, we need to take that seriously and acknowledge um, God's warning against that harm. But the second thing we can say about why, why does God care, why does God give this commandment, is it's a commandment to receive the gift you've been given. And God is basically warning us, don't disregard, don't dishonor the gift you've been given. God's given you a gift. And so if you're married, God has given you a gift. If you are single, if you are unmarried, God has given you a gift, right? And to go against that gift, right, is actually dishonoring the giver who has given that gift. And so if we are married, right, we've been given the gift of marriage. Again, the gift of intimacy, the gift of oneness, right? And you see, once again, in our Proverbs reading, if you look at the first part of that reading, you have this image of water. Drink water from your own cistern. What does water represent? Right? It represents um, fulfillment, right? refreshment, um, satisfying thirst. It represents life. And saying, look, in your marriage, there's a place of life. 
right? There's a place of refreshment. Drink water there, right? That's where it's to be enjoyed. Should your springs be scattered about, streams of water in the streets? The imagery is, right, you've been given this gift, and you're, like, letting it flow out into the streets rather than protecting it and honoring that gift, right? Enjoy the gift, right? Receive it, but don't right, um, uh, share it with others, right? It's not to be shared. It is to be received, right? And in marriage, we can experience as we honor, actually, this gift, as we honor the vows, as we honor the oneness, it actually increases the love that we can have, husband and wife can have for one another. One of my favorite marriage quotes, and if you've been here a while, you may have heard me uh, quote it uh, before, actually comes from a man who was never married, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And in a letter he wrote uh, to his sister who was getting married, he said to her um, this as she was about to get married. He says, it's not your love that will sustain the marriage, but from now on it's your marriage that will sustain your love. And he's saying, look, as you honor your vows, as you honor the fact that you have been made one in the Lord, that you are married, I believe your love will flow out of that. And again, many of you can bear testimony to experiencing that. Probably also many of you can bear testimony to experience the times that you honor those vows and you don't feel a lot of love. That it can be a challenge. That there may be seasons, right, where um, that is just pure obedience. And I know and believe that God honors that, right, as we honor these vows, Right, the love will follow, right? Even if we don't feel it at times, he will honor that. So there's a gift to receive there, but also the scriptures speak of celibacy, of the unmarried, right, receiving a gift, right? Paul actually says, right, it, he, in his opinion, it's better not to marry, right? That's a verse we don't talk about a lot in church, right? But that's what he says. He says, I think it's better not to marry. He said, because the single, like himself, right, the unmarried, they can have undivided devotion to the Lord, right? And that really important and very true. I actually did a whole sermon on this. I'm, I'm hitting on very briefly uh, today. But the gift of celibacy, right? And that's a gift all of us have um, at a time, right? No one's born married, right? So all of us have seasons, right, where we receive that gift. For some, again, it may be a lifelong season. For others, it may be a limited time. But for all of us at times, we're called to that place of undivided devotion, and Paul, again, speaks of there's a freedom there that you have. There's a, a focus there that you have. And I think so often sometimes the married look at the single or the unmarried and say, man, I wish I had that gift. And so often the unmarried look at the married and they're like, I wish I had that gift. Right? And rather than receiving the gift that the Lord has given us, we're constantly looking at the other, right? And maybe at times that's with lustful intent. Maybe at times it's just with thinking we'd be better off not to have the gift that the Lord has given us. But in receiving the gift, we are called to be imitators of the Lord. As it says in our Ephesians passage, therefore be imitators of God's beloved children and walk in love. Right? We do that both through what we say yes to and what we turn away from. And again, he's very clear as he speaks of sexual immorality. Turn away from that. Right? That is not the way of love. Right? You imitate God in your marriage right? as you imitate right, the selfless love of Jesus, as we imitate right, Jesus' relationship with the church and we honor one another. We imitate the Lord um, in singleness and being unmarried as we imitate the undivided devotion of Jesus, right? And keep in mind, Jesus was surrounded by people in community. He was not single um, in, in really any sense, even though he was unmarried. He was connected and part of things, just as we are, right, whether we're single or married. And so either way, right, we're called to imitate the Lord and to be imitators in the way we live out, right, our sexuality, I'm struck, actually. I, this wasn't on purpose as I chose the readings uh, for um, this commandment um, and then began to study them and looked over them. I was struck, actually, by the connection in our Proverbs reading 
that warns, you know, don't be intoxicated by another woman. Be intoxicated by your wife, it's saying to husbands. I believe as well. We can say to wives, be intoxicated by the love of your husband, right, and your love for them. And then you have in Ephesians, right, don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. In both places we see, yes, there's something I'm telling you not to do, but there's an invitation there. Turn away from this, but turn to this, the filling and empowerment of the Holy Spirit, right? The joy of marriage, and seek the Lord's help in that. Seek his assistance and his strengthening in that. I'm uh, struck that a term we use, right, to speak of adultery is unfaithfulness. And clearly, right, when we're using that, we're speaking of unfaithfulness to a spouse, Right? But I think it's significant that that word faith right, is used in speaking about marriage. I think it just captures right, that faith in our relationship um, with others, our relationship, our sexual relationships, is um, connected to our faith in the Lord. Right? And it's no surprise that that image is used again and again painfully. But it's an image that God uses again and again in speaking to his people as they run after idols, as they turn away from him, is adultery. He calls them an adulterous um, generation, right? Jesus uses that term at times to capture our unfaithfulness. So that's where we all have to say, yes, we are at times unfaithful, right? But the Lord is always faithful. He is always faithful. He is always a faithful spouse to us no matter what, right? And God is faithful to cleanse us from our sins. When we confess our sins to him, when we put our faith in Christ, he is always faithful in that. And so while we can say, yes, we are unfaithful, at times we're unfaithful in our sexuality, right? but that is not beyond the healing and redemptive power of our Lord. So let's hold that out again, even as we feel the conviction of this and the challenge of it. Let's hold out right? that our Lord is full of grace, full of forgiveness, full of mercy. Paul, in speaking to those who had fallen into sexual sin, he says, this is what you once were, right? but now you have been redeemed. Now you are a new creation in Christ. That is our identity. Let's pray for that. Well, I do pray, as we receive um, this commandment, again, which I just believe is challenging in different ways for all of us, Lord. We acknowledge, Lord, um, our sinfulness and our unfaithfulness, and we acknowledge, Lord, that you are always faithful. We acknowledge your healing power. We acknowledge your redemptive power, Lord. And I pray for each one here, Lord, that they would know that redemption, they would know that strength, they would know an identity rooted in you and your Um, Father's love for them. And again, Lord, we um, give you thanks and praise that you care enough about us to speak the truth to us. We pray all this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.